Welcome to The Value Legacy. Now, once again, this time, it's going to be more from the Family Business Summit that we held at the Canada Pavilion at Expo 2020 in March this year. Now, this is the third panel discussion from the event, ESG and its relevance for family businesses. Vinod Krishnan, the MD of Arch Corporation, DIFC, the people behind The Value Legacy, is with me. Good to see you. Likewise, Tim. Now, Vinod, ESG, those three little words that to some people don't mean much, but to others mean a very great deal. ESG, environmental, social and governance. Those essentially non-financial factors applied as as part of analysis, if you like, uh, or an analysis process to identify material risks and growth opportunities. That's the definition, but there's a whole lot more, isn't there? Absolutely. Uh, For most family businesses, sustainability and governance are part of their DNA. And that's the reason why they have been around for uh, a number of generations. Mm. But bringing together two family businesses who talk about sustainability and governance alongside a green energy initiative expert made the ESG theme for our summit very meaningful. To the visiting families from overseas, it was also an introduction to Abu Dhabi and its growth over the past few decades. Towards this, we had invited two business families and their principals, Mr. Saeed Al-Malik, who's the president of Middle East Fuji Group, Mm. who's also the president of the International Ship Supplies and Services Association, His Excellency Mohammed Al-Fahim, who's the chairman of Makarem, and one of the principals of one of the oldest family businesses in Abu Dhabi, the Al-Fahim Group, and Yu Smaldas, the investment director at Dubai Green Fund, which is an investment initiative by Dubai Electricity and Water Authority and the Dubai government. You chaired the panel, and you started with His Excellency Mohammed Al-Fahim. Your Excellency Mohammed Al-Fahim, if I may start with you, as one of the earliest business families in Abu Dhabi, your book indeed was one of the first books I read here in the late 90s, I have to say, Rags to Riches, and it it will be uh, gifted later on as well from the Value Legacy. Do do you agree that family businesses are committed to more than just profitability? And what does it take to build a strong external social capital network for a family business so that you have your customers, your vendors, your logistics partners, your advisors and your lenders? Where does the strength to do that come from? Sir. Well, thank you first for inviting me. And secondly, I'm really uh, pleased and happy that uh, there is an organization such as yours trying to promote the family value, family businesses. Because unfortunately, in the last 10 years, we saw a lot of family businesses actually uh, fade away after the demise of the main person, the the businesses just went away and uh, divided over the inheritance and uh, none of it today exists in the last 10 years. And unfortunately, our governments have not been forthcoming with uh, rules, regulations to keep the family businesses going throughout uh, the last 20 years. 
only in Dubai. They have some uh, rules instituted, some rules and regulation, by, but the rest of the Emirates, uh, businesses, uh, family businesses grow as long as the founder is present. And once the founder go away, die, or get sick or something, the whole business falls down. And unfortunately, some of the businesses that we've seen are uh, very close to the needs of the consumers in the UAE. And uh, we had uh, big uh, agencies, like car agencies, uh, foodstuff agencies, uh, uh, travel, tourism, real estate businesses, just fall down and uh, melt uh, with the sand, unfortunately, because the inheritors have no idea how to run the business, and the founder did not write a will, and the government didn't have a rule or regulation or some kind of uh, uh, governing paperwork where, or uh, constitution where they can follow the inheritance. So to see what you are doing today, you're bringing the family businesses to the forefront. I have tried since 20 years to educate the founders my age to write a will, to write a, uh, an article of association, to write anything. Just put it on paper. Say who's going to be next after you. Unfortunately, some of those who did write something existed for a certain time and then faded away. Those who did not, the business went bankrupt in the first one year. I am lucky. Uh, first, I come from a desert uh, background. I have not, uh, I never established a business. My father started the business in 62. And uh, two years later, I was only about uh, 16, no, 14 at that time. I went with him to Bahrain. And for the first time in Bahrain, you probably read it in the book, Rags to Riches, I was taken to the canoe family business office or their businesses. First of all, there where I, I saw for the first time a building. We didn't have any buildings here in Abu, in Abu Dhabi. We didn't. And what actually excited me more than seeing a, a building is the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so I, me and my brother spent a whole day in the elevator going up and down, taking down, literally. I mean, we occupied the elevator for a whole day. My father was meeting with uh, Safiya's uh, uncles and Barak. Yes. And uh, we were in the elevator. And that was such a the big excitement of the day for us. Now, later on, I was sent to England to study, came back afterwards in 69, 68. I joined my father's business. I had a little bit of an idea of how to organize a business. My father at that time had uh, one supervisor, because he was the manager, and three staff. One of them is the Farash. <laughs> so, uh, and 10 years later, after I took over, the business has gone up from 
three members of management to 1,500. It's not because I was a genius. No, it was because Sheikh Zayed at that time gave us an opportunity to do business. So we were suppliers to the military, to the uh, police. Uh, we were suppliers to the government. He inst instituted a ruling that all the government purchasing should be done through a local businessman, according to their imports and their uh, franchise. You know, someone selling furniture, that's where the government buys furniture. So he helped us to acquire this business. And at the same time, I went back to Bahrain and I met some of the Kano families and I learned how they uh, organize their business. How come they, they've been in existence for so long? And when Khaled Kano, who, who is a close friend of mine, explained it to me, I decided I want to organize Al-Fahim Group according to the businesses, or to the rules and regulation and article of association of the Kanus. I learned from them, came to Abu Dhabi, and I approached my father. I said, look, it's only you and me in the business. When you don't come to the uh, business because you are always with Sheikh Zayed, I don't see you for months. And I need to run the business, I need uh, power of uh, signature, I need uh, a lot of things, uh, decision-making. Why don't we organize our business according to the Kanu's business? And he was very friendly with the Kanu's, and he was impressed with their businesses. So we organized the business according to that style. And today, the Al-Fahim group is still in existence, although my father passed away uh, 20 years ago, and the business is being taken over by the eldest son as we go uh, forward. And probably some of you would uh, going driving along Sheikh uh, Zayed Road today, you will notice the Crown Plaza. It was built by myself, built by me, but uh, I had to sell it afterwards uh, because my family were uh, opposed to selling uh, alcohol in our hotel. So I couldn't get rid of the alcohol part, so I, I sold the, the whole bloody business. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have been preaching and I've been speaking in conferences to business men, women, to please write something, put it in writing. And those, some listened, some didn't. And now, our government woke up to the fact that they have to protect family businesses and they started writing rules and re regulations. And it was very nice, it is very nice, but they are 10 years behind, unfortunately. And we need people like yourselves to give us to give the family business a boost. We need support from all those who come to your conferences to speak, to attend, to listen, to actually help us save the family businesses from 
a demise because businesses are getting too big to manage by just a member of a family anymore. It's not possible anymore to manage it by a person. It has to be organized in, in a way where it is managed properly, uh, technology, using the latest technology and uh, management. Otherwise, we will not only lose as uh, businessmen, it, the consumer will lose their investment. If they have bought cars from us or bought houses or building or anything, and we had uh, promised them that we will maintain it for them or guarantee them over a certain number of years, and suddenly the business fold over. Who's going to support these consumers and fulfill the promises that we took to convince them to buy from us, whether it's cars or businesses or, uh, or uh, any other uh, commodity? So this is the first time I come to a conference after 10 years to actually uh, speak and listen to those who by now are much more uh, knowledgeable than myself. I've been retired for 10 years, but uh, once you are a businessman, you can never leave it. You will always be a businessman. You always have a view, uh, an idea. So I'm now trying to be the eldest in the family and try to uh, guide my own siblings, like uh, brothers and uh, children, to take care of the business like I have done for 30 years before them. I hope you will find all this in the book that you will receive later. And please don't uh, hesitate to advise me. Even though I am over age, I still want to listen from your views, from your ideas, because I want to teach people. I'm, I'm in mostly in the education business now. I'm uh, head of uh, UAE uh, University in Al Ain, uh, the uh, advisory board. I'm uh, the chairman of the advisory board of uh, London School of Economics. I am a board member of uh, King Abdullah Academy in Jordan. So wherever I go, I try to preach to those who uh, sit in front of me and willing to listen. So uh, I'm very pleased to be here today. Thank you. We're very pleased to have you. I mean, what stands out to me there is that you were set an example by your father and you have continued and you're looking to continue that uh, tradition. Let me just change tack and ask Saeed. Saeed Al-Malik, you were elected chairman of ESA, IWSA, the International Ship Suppliers and Services Association, five years ago now, 2017. The first Arab national to hold the post. ESA has over 2,000 uh, members, all family-run businesses, uh, as we learned uh, in the podcast with you. Could you elaborate on what that meant for the UAE, for the association's members, and for ESA, and as chairman, let me get on to the best practices and governance part of this panel, a little bit of sustainability as well. One what by the, one. 
Finally, uh, what are the best practices that you've implemented, would you say, towards governance yeah. and sustainability? Okay. Um, thank you, Ian. Um, the story of ESA, the uh, International Ship Suppliers and Services Association, goes back to many, many years, back to 1993, actually, when I joined them as an associate member because we didn't have any national association in the UAE. Um, there was no Arab country uh, which was a member of that association. It is a very important association because they are members at IMO, International Maritime Organization, which is an important division of trade section in the United Nations. What ESA does basically protects the interest of the ship suppliers worldwide. We have 40 national associations from different parts of the world. UAE was the first Middle East Arab country that has become a full member in the uh, ESA. And then my eyes were basically were on the reaching the executive board, which successfully managed to do it and then I was hoping to become the president of ESA at one point of time. The ESA Association in 1955 when they were established in The Hague in Holland, due to the importance of that association we felt that association needs to be developed, needs to be upgraded in terms of uh, Articles of Association as its legal status in terms of its authority matrix, in terms of its uh, management directives, altogether. Um, it was a very huge task when you have 40 countries from different parts of the world voting on a particular topic that you actually propose to the General Assembly. You have 30% of the attendees who hardly speak English they don't understand what you're saying. But then, of course, basically, they follow the European members or the American and the Canadian uh, national associations and what we recommend were being the best for the association. The importance of this association comes in the IMO regulations, the way we should be uh, environmentally uh, prepared uh, in order to meet the IMO regulations in terms of its all the restrictions on items being supplied to ships, even spares. Now the carbon, of course, obviously we have the new regulations on the CO2s. So all the materials that we are supplying, whoever is a member of ESA has to basically follow that. So um, we did... Uh, change the articles just two years ago. We have just actually now changed the authority matrix of the association. It has become more of a manageable, as uh, Mohammed just mentioned, sometimes you cannot run everything by yourself. We have nine board members, so we basically, what we did is that we dedicated, I dedicated the authority to board members in each of their area of responsibility. So uh, that actually helped to operate the association, even though there are a lot of members, 2,000 members. We have now 2,028 members worldwide. And that change of articles and the new authority matrix with its directives have actually helped 
run the association much more smoothly. Just if I can come to you, and I want to come to, really to allow you to explain what it is that you do as well. Uh, you can do it far better than I can. You're an investment director at Dubai Green Fund. You led the fund's investment in two solar independent power producer projects, combined size of, uh, I believe, two gigawatts. Um, Dubai Green Fund is the first specialised green investment fund in the MENA region. It's a Dubai government and DIWA, Dubai Electricity and Water Authority initiative. The target's ambitious, 100 million uh, dirhams, I think. 100 billion. Billion. I should be able to... Smart, small. <laughs> it's just a typo to me. Uh, it's a cornerstone investment. Um, just, a zero. Just, a, just a zero or two. Um, it, it's a cornerstone investment structure to Dubai's clean energy strategy if the UAE wants to meet the net zero by 2050. Uh, that really is the point. I'm interested to know more in that. But the UAE hosts COP28 in 2023... In line with its pledge to enable sustainable future economic growth, the UAE has envisioned an inclusive energy system. The Hamid bin Rashid Al Maktoum solar park is the largest single-sized solar park in the world. No shortage uh, of sunshine here, of course. But if you could outline how DGF is involved in this project and what the IPP initiatives that uh, are that DGF is pursuing as well. It's a lot to talk about, I know, but I'll let you take over. Yeah, so maybe taking, uh, taking a step back. So Dubai Green Fund, it's a Dubai government initiative. It is part of the funding pillar of the Dubai Clean Energy 2050 strategy that originally had a target of uh, achieving 75% clean energy by 2050. Um, but last October, actually, the UAE announced a net zero target for 2050. So the strategy has also been updated to, to uh, accomplish... 100% clean energy by 2050. Um, and the Mohammed bin Rashid solar park is also an important part of this same strategy on the infrastructure side. Um, and as you mentioned, it's the biggest solar park in the world with a target of 5 gigawatts. At the moment, uh, 3 gigawatts of projects um, are either constructed or in construction at the moment. Um, and Dubai Green Fund has invested in the last two phases of this Mohammed bin Rashid solar park. Um, which is the phase four, which is a, a concentrated solar uh, project of about one gigawatt, and then the phase five, which is uh, 900 megawatts of, uh, of solar PV. Um, and the good thing about these uh, projects is actually it's unsubsidized, um, so it makes a lot of economical sense. Actually, solar energy is now the cheapest uh, form of electricity, and every time a phase is, is announced and closed, it actually breaks a new record of achieving uh, the lowest, what they call LCOE, the, lo the levelized cost of, uh, of electricity. Um, so it's not only green, but it's actually also a very attractively priced for the utility company and at the same time uh, providing a good uh, return for, for investors, including ourselves, because part of uh, the objectives of the White Green Fund is also to show that investing in green is actually mainstream uh, and is profitable in itself. Um, so that's, yeah, that's an important part from us and, and obviously with another two gigawatts of projects uh, within this Mohammed bin Rashid solar park coming up, uh, we look forward to being involved in, in that as well. Your Excellency Mohammed Al-Fahim, if I can come back to you and I'm going to change direction uh, again. There's so many different things we can discuss with each of you, but uh, we haven't really mentioned a great deal about the COVID-19 pandemic today, but I wanted to ask you for comment on this. It's really forced all businesses to 
to rethink their business models, I think it's fair to say, to rethink supply chains uh, in particular, um, and also working practices as well, uh, employee practices too. Your group, the Alpha Heme Group, is in the automotive, the hospitality, the industrial, the real estate sectors, the education sectors as well. And it's a simple question. How, how, did, you, how did the Alpha Heme Group manage the impact of the pandemic? How would you answer that? We've never had such an experience in the past. Mm. Yes, we had uh, in the Emirate, especially the, for, since 19... 68, we, from 1968 until today, we've had six recessions for different reasons. During the, uh, the, develop, the first development of Abu Dhabi, and then we ran out of money. The government had to borrow from the banks. In 73, we had uh, a war, the Arab War, that affected us. Then the Iran uh, revolution and the Iraq uh, war, and so forth. And each of these events caused us to rethink how do we go forward, how do we plan, how do we execute our uh, business. And that actually gave us a lesson. So during the COVID shutdown, we couldn't sell or uh, buy or build or uh, even manage anything. But what we did to cut our course, we concentrated on our staff, on our employees, trying to help them get over the pandemic, uh, resettle them, uh, but give them a better uh, places to live, uh, give them, uh, even supply them with food in their own homes because they couldn't go out. So, yes, we lost business, we lost money, uh, but we had high hopes that the pandemic will be over soon and we, could, we will go back to business and so forth. And uh, throughout the pandemic, we built a hotel in Dubai, 43-story building, and uh, it opened about... Uh, a year ago, and it's doing a thriving business. But yes, we lost money, but you, when you are in business, you know, you, you make money and you lose money. You have to accept that fact. But as long as you try to plan things and you try to work harder, bring in new initiative to the business, uh, that's what actually sustained us. And today, our hotels are doing well. The car business is even better. You, you can't get a car, you can't buy a Mercedes. I mean, just because you have the money doesn't mean you can go to the showroom and buy it. You have to wait for it for eight to nine months now. So uh, business has gone back, thankfully. Uh, I think the Emirates is one of the countries that really regained it's uh, standing in business and in development uh, more than any other Arab country uh, around us. Do you know, I think that's interesting, and that's, that's a recurring theme as well. The UAE, we've heard uh, this morning, bounces back. And it's interesting that you cite geopolitical events as a spur to 
find a way forward rather than see it as a setback. Zaid Malik, let me ask you about something that the value legacy proposes, and that's the, the idea of social capital. I know this is something you can answer. Your family business is a real example of how you developed a partnership with another family, the, the Fuji family from yeah. uh, Japan. And I know you hold that dear. I've spoke to you at length about that. Um, and it's allowed you to expand separate businesses. What experiences can you share with other family businesses here today on the, the model, the successful model that you've enjoyed? I'm a believer of partnerships. I always believe that partnerships enhance the business because um, the bigger the team, the stronger you are. But of course, uh, I have always a very important condition when it comes to partnership. There has got to be a very strong need. If you don't need each other, then don't even shake hands from the beginning. So the need of the two partnerships for each other is a very important element for a successful and a long-term partnership. The story of ours basically goes in an exhibition uh, back in London in 1994. We spoke to each other. They were missing a few things uh, in terms of this area, Middle East, and we wanted the connection of the manufacturers in Japan because they, they basically have most of the spares and the big equipments of the ships. Korea and Japan was important and Fuji was already in Korea. So, so I think uh, then I thought, okay, there's no harm of sacrificing a, a few percentage of your share and uh, joining hands whereby your objectives can be reached in a shorter period rather than in a long period. Probably I was able to do it in another 50, 40 years, but if we can do it together in 10 years, then why not? So, um, elements of success, I, I think, uh, in my point of view, is the need, the amount of resources that can both partners use from each other, the understanding of the family business between the two. They are a family business, we are a family business, it's not my dad's business, it's my own business, but I definitely wanted to make sure that it is going to stay. As Muhammad explained, they have to make sure that the next generation and the next generation has to continue with a proper understanding where I have to now put in a very strong structure uh, in terms that actually, I don't think, a lot of people say, no, the Sharia law is not going to make it happen, it's very difficult to comply with it, but I don't really think so because I've discussed it with Vinod many, many times. I've discussed it with lawyers. There is always a way, as Muhammad said, there is a will that you can write. There is always a structure that you can build. Uh, a separate company, a holding company that owns another company, for example. So the shares can be, you know, written in the will when someone passes by so that the next generation don't get into a fight when someone passes away and the court cases can take years and years to finalize an issue. Um, I'm a believer of family businesses joining hands and uh, I think we should always meet from time to time and discuss about opportunities, what we can do together, there are areas that I, I could not probably or not be able to do it as professional as the way 
another partner, family partner or family businesses. So we need to find ways of cooperation, opportunities that we can do. Not necessarily family businesses in the UAE. Any family business from on the abroad can... Uh, we don't have such an event, and I could recommend maybe for you guys to organize an event that attracts family businesses to this country, and then open up the eyes and see what opportunities that we family companies can do with other nationalities, other family companies that we can do together. Vinod? So maybe that could be a very good thing for us to do. So I think uh, that, that's the way how I look at it. So. I think Vinod hears you. I can see, I can see the little glint in his eyes. Yes, oh. I, have, I have just one comment to, say, to, sure. to, to mention here. You know, I, I mentioned that I sold the Crown Plaza on Sheikh Zayed Street, and that was maybe 10 years ago. But can, you, can anyone tell me why I'm stuck with its manager still? <laughs> <laughs> and he happens to be here too. <laughs> I mean, I thought I'd sell the, uh, the, the hotel and, uh, with the manager, but I, didn't, uh, I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd, I think you can sell buildings. People are a different kettle of fish, unfortunately. Um, just, uh, just, just one more question. We're going to have to leave uh, the panel here. But in this room, we have decision makers, I think, of family businesses with combined revenues in several billions of dollars. I've got my B in the correct place this time. Could you explain the specifications? Just, just talk to me about what the opportunity, I, I think I'm trying to say, that Dubai Green Fund offers the Emirates and what it will bring to the Emirates. So one of the verticals we focus on is, uh, is energy and water efficiency. Um, and for example, we did a big project with Dubai airports where Dubai airports, they replaced about 150,000 uh, light bulbs with LED and they uh, upgraded the cooling and the AC systems, added some uh, rooftop solar as well. Um, and the way that the model works is that uh, an investor like Dubai Green Fund can provide 100% of the capex, so there is zero cost for the, for the airports. And the engineering companies involved, they guarantee a certain level of, uh, of savings from, from effectively the capex. And that's how the investor um, gets repaid. So in the first four, five, six years, depending on the specifics of the project, the majority of savings will go back to the investor and a small share will go to, to, the, to the company. Um, and after that, the full benefits are effectively uh, for the building owner. Um, so that's a very nice uh, way of, of actually saving uh, energy and making your building more green because there is, there is zero cost um, and a lot of potential savings. And it's not only the, the, the capex that is saved, but even the opex, there is a saving uh, there because normally the engineering company, in order to guarantee the savings, they will actually operate uh, also this equipment during the, uh, the guaranteed energy saving uh, period. So that's a win-win. That's and I think every family that has big buildings, um, they could consider an initiative like this of retrofitting the... We, already, we already did that, actually. That's very good. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we, we did that plan, and the plan with Diwa was uh, very, very flexible. They, uh, not only that, basically, you will save cost on energy, you will also get credit with their uh, account statements. So whatever extra usage of that electricity you have, they will basically buy it from you. 
So I think that was a good, uh, good initiative, very supportive. Exactly. So that's the Shams Dubai initiative, where if you install solar uh, on your roof, then obviously during the daytime you produce electricity, and sometimes that's more than what you use. So then Diwa acts effectively as a, as a battery through the grid, where you get a credit, and then when you use it at night, uh, you, you basically use the credit that you build Correct. during the daytime. Jos Smold is, is an investment director at Dubai Green Fund. Yes, thank you for your time today. Uh, Syed Al-Malik is the president of the Middle East Fuji Group, Dubai, president also of the International Ship Supplies and Services Association. It's good to see you, Syed. Thank, Thank you. you. And His Excellency Mohammed Al-Fahim is the chairman of Macram LLC. It's been a pleasure to have you here as well. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. The third panel discussion from the Family Business Summit, part of the Value Legacy, uh, an event that we held at the Canada Pavilion Expo 2020 in March of this year. Vinod Krishnan, the MD of Arch Corporation, still with me. Listening back to that, Vinod, um, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I really enjoy Mohammed Al-Fahim's stories, and he's a man who knows how to tell a story. But it really did highlight just how important ESG is is to family business and just how integrated it is or should be in family business structure. And as you said at the start there, it's kind of in the DNA. Yeah. Um, before we get to the ESG, uh, we tend to forget that mm. Abu Dhabi is a very new city. If you look at the timeline of the major cities uh, globally mm. and listening to Mr. Mohammed Al-Fahim say that there were no tall buildings in Abu Dhabi when he was a young man sure. was fascinating. Yeah. And um, today Abu Dhabi can pride itself to be one of the best cities of the world. Um, going back to why and how ESG is relevant for the value legacy as a platform, um, also, when I listened to him telling or acknowledging that his family business took a leave out of the YBA Kanu family in their family business governance, it is this close networking that we hope that the Value Legacy platform will be able to offer to our member family businesses. So you could actually mention that as the sustainability part of the ESG. Mm. On the governance side, Saeed Al-Malik spoke about International Ship Supplies Association, which is made up of around 2,000 family-owned businesses and how he introduced governance into his association that could be a model for these family businesses who are members of ESA. What excited us about Middle East Fuji was that two family businesses across the globe one in Japan, one in the Middle East, coming together to form a joint venture so that, uh, as, as Saeed al-Malik says, he's a believer in family businesses joining hands to discuss opportunities. And the last component, which is the environment part of the ESG, is something that's very new to family businesses, not just family businesses, corporations all over the world. So to have one of the Dubai government initiatives, which has become a largely recognized fund globally, the Dubai Green Fund, talk about how they can invest capital on behalf of the family businesses who would want to convert their businesses as eco-friendly, mm. is a new model that would encourage a number of family businesses to approach uh, structures like the Dubai Green Fund, obtain capital 
to convert their businesses to become environmentally friendly and use the savings and as you says the cost of the family business is an engineering model guarantee a cash flow of savings which can be used to repay the capex he he also emphasizes that green energy is mainstream and is also profitable so that completes the ESG theme we're trying to bring together on this panel Vinod Krishnan is the managing director of Arch Corporation DIFC people behind the value legacy good to hear from you Vinod thank you Tim we have a couple of more sessions don't we We do. Today, ESG and its relevance for family businesses. Next time, it's going to be all about the changing face of retail businesses. That's coming next, soon on The Value Legacy.